take two. Let me pray for you. We'll jump in. God, I do thank you for David and uh, for the gift, the calling, the anointing uh, that you've placed on him for our benefit. And I pray that we would uh, receive the full benefit this morning uh, by responding to your word with open hearts. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Aaron. And uh, so, so good to be here at Church on the Rock in Homer, Alaska. And we're expecting a grandchild any day now, so hoping I'll stay to the end of the week if I have to, then I got to race up to Wasilla, preach there, and I'll come right back. But uh, Lorraine sends her greetings. She's up in the valley helping another daughter wrap up a house project. So uh, I want to thank you for your partnership with uh, Lorraine and I and Global Missions, primarily the nation of Peru, and uh, some of you help with the projects there. Thank you so much, even with all the COVID disaster that happened, and we did lose three pastors in the jungle uh, that had the complications of COVID. Um, God has been good, and we've seen so many miracles and so many things take place, and we were able to raise $80,000 to help support over 100 pastors that needed help during the shutdown of the nation and the poor people in their area, as well as many widows. So I want to thank you for your partnership. Um, God is doing wonderful things. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23, and one of the most uh, familiar passages in the Bible this psalm that David wrote, and it has no title, probably because it, it covers so, so many diverse situations and who God is on our behalf. It's a pastoral psalm of the shepherd. It's a psalm of prosperity because it says, I will lack nothing. It's a psalm of peace referring to those green pastures that we can have rest in, those pastures of pleasure. It's a psalm of praise that rings out when our soul is restored. It's a psalm of peril that shows us that even when we end up in the valley where death's shadow exists, even when we end up there, God is true and his presence is always with us. It's a psalm of promise, which reminds me that I am not always going to be in this present situation or circumstance, but I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's also a psalm of provision. Psalm 23, verse 5, and it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I want to look at three things in this passage that I believe speaks to us of God's provision. The first thing is the table, and I hope you notice this isn't somebody else that's bringing the table to King David, it is God himself who is bringing it. And where is it? It is in the presence of David's enemies. I hope you're a visual person and you can see like I can in my mind's eye, in the theater of our mind. That can you see David? He's been in a battle and, and there's maybe blood that's pouring from him from a sword wound. Maybe he's worn out and weary. He's, he's struggling and stumbling and there's dirt all over him. And it is in this context that he says, God, you have prepared a table for me. Not only is it a prepared table, it is prepared provision. Now, normally in a battle, they give you MREs to eat, right? How many military people, you've had those MREs, or as a kid, you ate them, or you just came back from moose hunting, and you had more than your share of those mountain house meals, man. By the way, I just tried some Peak 40s. They are way better. I'm just telling you, you know, do an upgrade and switch. 
But in, in a battle, in the military, you eat in haste. You, uh, you eat very quickly. And, 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 and with an enemy there, it's a very hurried experience. But this isn't what David is talking about. He's talking about the antithesis of this, the opposite of it. He's saying, God, you prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And what kind of table is David referring to? Bible scholars say this is a king's table. This is God himself, the king of all kings, bringing his king's table. And you have to go back in history to understand because we just have so much provision today. But thousands of years ago, this was where you would have the biggest feast. And so I found this picture. You know, think Lord of the Rings, all right, when you think of a king's table. That might be the best imagery I can give you, although I don't think there was ham on David's table. But, and by the way, it's, it's God's table, the king of kings, and your enemy's there. By the way, what is the devil going to do? I mean, he can't stop God from putting this table of provision for you. We just sang, our God is mighty. Nobody can stop our God, our king, nobody. What's the enemy going to do? He can't say, hey, God, you can't put that there. I mean, God will just kick him out of the way. Get out of here, devil. I'm preparing this table. I'm going to tell you, God's preparing a table for me, and there's not tofu burgers or seaweed soup on it, all right? There is ribs. There is mashed potatoes. There is gravy. There is Alaska king crab. Man, the moose went down in many families. There's moose meat, moose roast. There is good stuff on this table, and even those things that our mothers made us eat, right? Anybody have a mother that made you eat something you didn't want to eat? For me, it was Brussels sprouts and cauliflower and broccoli, and, and so even though he'll put things on there for your benefit, I mean, at least, you know, he'll put brown sugar on those Brussels sprouts so you can choke it down. You know, some of us are battling forgiving someone. I want to tell you, God has provision and grace for you to be able to forgive that individual that you never thought you could forgive. Some of us are battling depression, and what does God bring? He sets joy and everlasting, abundant joy on that table, that feast for you. God's setting up a table, and he's making your devils watch what he is providing for you. It's in the face of our enemies. All you have to do is take the provision, and this is a king's table. It's not a camping table. You know, I had some of those weak sportsman's warehouse camping tables out moose hunting. Man, they barely hold up. It's not a card table. It's not an ordinary table. It's not one from the office to do work on. It is a king's table for a feast. And I want you to, to remember this. The enemy can never hinder the table of God in your life. He cannot stop the table of God. He cannot stop the blessing and the flow of God in my life. The only person that can stop it is me if I don't come and eat at the table that God has for me. Joy is not circumstance. It's not situational. It is relational. Some of you are saying, but David, you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the shame that I live with because of things that I've done and I just feel so less than and that I can't receive the abundance of God's table. I want you to think of another story with me of King David. He had had this friendship with Jonathan, the son of King Saul, and somehow Jonathan had some prophetic insight. He knew that David would someday become the king of Israel and that he would no longer be around. And he said, in that time, remember my offspring, be kind to them. And so years go by and David becomes the king of all of Israel and he remembers this covenant. 
And he asked one of the servants of Saul, he said, is there any of the offspring? And he said, you know, there's this one crippled prince, Mephibosheth. He's hanging out on the backside of the nation in a wasteland area called Lodabar. And so they send for this crippled prince, just hoping that he's never discovered. And they bring him to the palace to David. And David looks at him and he just cowers. And, and Mephibosheth says, what do you want with a dead dog like me? And David says, lose that, that, that horrified look off your face. He goes, no, you are going to come and be with me. You will eat at my table, a king's table. I want to tell you, if a human man can bring a crippled prince from the backside of the desert to eat at his table, how much more can our God bring us to his table in the face of our enemies? By the way, if we're at that table and we're a crippled prince, when you're crippled and you're sitting down at a table, it doesn't matter. We're all on the same place sitting at the table enjoying the feast. So that's the table. The second thing is the anointing. You anoint my head with oil. I hope you can see David sitting at this table, the enemy watching, and now God himself is taking anointing oil and pouring it over David's head. Kings were always anointed with a special anointing oil to symbolize the presence of God's power and the Holy Spirit, the purpose they were set apart for. And so we can have this imagery of a kingly anointing, a priestly anointing, but I want to tell you, everyone here today, you have an anointing from God himself. Peter writes, he says, you're a royal priesthood, a chosen people. What does it mean to be anointed? What are we talking about when we say the anointing? If you're new to church culture, maybe you're starting to hear this word around the church, and uh, sometimes we use this, uh, Pastor Skip, we throw it on everything, right? That, man, that was, that was an anointed song. Wow, man, that man, Pastor Aaron preached, that was such an anointed sermon. Or you walk into a church and you say, wow, I feel the anointing. What are people saying? I think they're simply just trying to say, I feel Jesus in that message. I feel Jesus in that song because Jesus is the anointed one. He is the Messiah, Mashiach. And this term, Mashiach, is used 38 times in the Old Testament, 30 times in reference to kings, six times in reference to the high priest, two times in reference to fathers. And so it has this idea of authority that is conferred to another individual, somebody that is set apart for a purpose. And out of that, in the New Testament, we have a releasing of power, a releasing of grace that takes place. It is a spiritual experience, and so when you sense the Spirit of Jesus coming on you, in a, and maybe even in a new way today, it can be hard to describe at times, and that's why we say, man, I just, I just feel the anointing of God. I feel Jesus here today. Anybody ever gone to a certain church service and you just sensed Jesus in that church service, and you can go to a very similar type building, place everything, and, and you don't. I mean, you know, what is that? That is the, the spirit of Jesus, and it confers authority and power. But the word translated here in Psalm 23, the Hebrew word is not Mashiach. It is a different word, Deshanta. It's a very similar word, but it means something even more. It's used to talk about uh, to fertilize something, to make fat, to increase it. And so this idea that it is a fresh anointing given to David because all of us grow in our relationship with the Lord. He's experiencing a daily anointing, a fresh anointing. Psalm 92.10 says, but you've exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh 
oil. You know, some come into the church and man, they show up, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Skip, I, I'm a server, I'm a server, let me serve, let me serve. And many times God is saying, I want you to be still, I want you to sit at my table and eat the provision I have for you and to allow the oil to be poured over you afresh. That's why it's so important. If you haven't come to that class, come to that class and find out what you're getting involved with here at the church. And we need the, the anointing oil because many of us need to be healed from past wounds and, and things that have taken place. The anointing heals your wounds. I've been in Israel a number of times and when you study the shepherd's interaction with the sheep in the context of that day, he would inspect the sheep daily for wounds, for insect bites, snake bites, and he would put a prepared oil and anointment on those wounds. In the summertime in Israel, one of the pests is the nose fly, and it would, it would come and lay its, its larva in the nose, the mucus of that sheep. And then the larva burrow themselves down in and it just drives the sheep mad. They bash their heads on rocks or trees, and a good shepherd, at the moment he noticed, he noticed these pests, these nose flies that showed up. He had a special oil that he would put on the nose of that sheep so it would not go through this. You know, I want to say we need the home-brewed anointing oil of Jesus, amen? We cannot treat wounds in the church with intellect. We need Jesus. Some of us have wounds from childhood, from marriage, and Let's be honest, we could even get wounds in the church, but I wanna tell you what, Jesus has been wounded by more people in the, in the church than anybody else, and he still shows up with his church. The anointing is wonderful, but it's not just about miracles and healings, it's so much more. The anointing is Christ, and it's the shepherd's privilege to look you and I over to see where we need to be healed. Because broken people break people. Hurt people hurt people, but healed people will heal people. You know, God loved David. He anointed him king, knowing what he would do with Bathsheba, committing adultery and killing Uriah. And that's amazing to me. And then we get to the New Testament, and it says that David was a man after God's own heart. And I say, how can that be with all that took place? How can that be? And I think some of the, uh, the understanding is in this verse, David realized that even with his sin, even his mistakes and the shame, he could always come to the table that was there with provision for that shame and that sin to be taken care of. Why are we anointed for a purpose? I wanna tell you why, because on our worst day, we're still going to heaven, amen? On the world's best day, they're still going to hell. I want to show this picture of one of our evangelists I met back in December with Chapa Chobinda. He's one of our Kandoshi new evangelists, and I thought I was meeting him for the first time. He looked kind of familiar. He starts to share his story. He said, in 2015, I came to know Christ, was water baptized, and then I came to the academy, the Bible Academy in Iquitos, Peru, for one year, but it's such a long distance, I couldn't keep... Uh, the, the remoteness, I couldn't keep doing that, so I finished my studies uh, with, from, the, uh, from afar, and then I was discipled by the evangelist there, Mauro, and he said, Mauro last year took a job with the government, and his strategy was to diversify amongst a few of us, and so I was set in place to be the new apostle for the Upper Chapuri River, the new evangelist for the Upper Chapuri, to oversee churches, to plant them, and, and I'm looking at this guy, and I'm going, Chobinda, Chobinda, and I said, hey, 
did I meet you in 2015? Are you Chief Chobinda that I met in Galileo? And he said, yes. And man, I remember this, what took place. We had shown up, we were going to have a Christianese kind of conference, but we thought about 50 Christian believers in that tribe, and we got there, there was 500 people, 30 chiefs that didn't know the Lord, and man, we scrapped, Carrie, we scrapped all our plans, we're like, okay, we're just going to preach straight up Jesus, salvation, water baptism, uh, empowerment of God, and the, the idea of the church, and, and just some things for Christian living, you know, and And uh, so I get up to preach the first morning on salvation, and it's going through two interpreters into Kandoshi, because most of the Kandoshi people don't speak Spanish. And as I'm preaching, this guy stands up, a chief with this feather headband of macaws that he'd killed 70 of these birds to get this feather headband. And he just starts railing it. I mean, he went full-blown Jackie Chan, and I know he'd never seen a Jackie Chan movie. I thought, my life is about over. He's going to take me out. And... uh, Finally, they end up telling me what he said, and what he said was, I've heard enough. (laughs) Not something you want to hear when you're preaching, I've heard enough, and somebody stands up, you know. He said, I've heard enough. He said, I've decided to follow Jesus and give him my life, and I'm inviting the 30 people from my village to do that with me. We've got a picture of it. We can put it up on the wall, this picture that was taken right when this happened back in 2015. And what I love about this is that He is now empowered by God, anointed by God, and he went out this year, and I was marveling at the testimony of what was taking place. In one instance, in his hometown, 300 adult water baptisms. 300, I wanna show these pictures. I mean, it is staggering. In this tribal group alone, almost 800 water baptisms for the year in a small tribe of about five to 6,000 people, about 60 villages. Almost 800. This is why we need the anointing, amen? We need Jesus. The last thing I want to talk about is the cup. Man, I love the cup. I don't know how big the cup is that David's talking about. I'm not sure, but man, I love the cup. By the way, I have my favorite hunting mug, rafting mug, four-wheeling mug, with me today, it was in my Suburban, I forgot I had it here with all the moose blood that I can't get the odor out of. I tried to throw some uh, scent things in there and that just made it worse, so I'll be working tomorrow scrubbing out my, anybody have a shampoo or let me know I need to borrow one, clean my truck, but I love this, you know, I have some Yetis, but I give those to my friends. I love this Grizzly, it's kind of rough, it doesn't slide out of your hand, it's got finger holds and man, it just keeps your coffee warm. You probably have a favorite cup. What is the cup a symbol of? It is a symbol of prosperity and abundance. As soon as you say prosperity, man, everybody just, I know what it's like, you tense up, ah, because the prosperity preachers have messed this up for us, haven't they? But how many know prosperity is so much more than what's in your bank account, right? It's so much more than that. Really, it's, it's something so much different than that. To me, prosperity is that my children all know Jesus and and even with all the, the mistakes that Lorraine and I made in parenting them and the failures that, man, my kids still want to actually hang around us, you know, and my son wanted to go hunting with me and, and they want to go rafting and we do these camping trips and now all three of my daughters are married and last summer I had my married daughters wanting to jump into Lorraine and Mai's tent and hang out with her. I'm like, hey, get out of here. You're married. Go get in your own tent. They want to have meals with us. To me, that's prosperity. 
John 3.38, whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And that is prosperity, abundant life, abundant peace, abundant joy. And the prosperity of the cup is in relationships. And when our cup is full and overflowing, we will engage in relationships because we want them to be touched by the Lord. I'll tell you a story that happened this last year and then we'll land the plane this morning. There's this gal named Sherry, and I never had met her. Lorraine never met her. She was living in the subdivision behind ours, having a house built, and she had lived with the man for 22 years. And this man had left her for a younger woman, and her life was devastated. She had one of the contracting uh, construction companies in the church was building her house, and as they were wrapping it up, she's on the phone with this man named Drew, and Drew works like Emily is today, back being the presenter in the church. He serves on the board. He wouldn't think he's, he, he wouldn't say he's a person to do counseling. And so she's on the phone and all of a sudden she just starts falling apart, crying, just unloads everything. And Drew was like, uh, um, Sherry, could I have my wife, Audrey, give you a call? And she goes, sure. So Audrey calls. And what I love about this, it's the beauty of the church, how many times it is our individual responsibility to make disciples, but the beauty of a church is sometimes we need help with doing that, right? Sometimes we need a little help with people doing it together. And so Audrey calls and talks to her, and then the Lord impresses on her to take a Bible and a book by Joyce Meyer, Battlefield of the Mind, and give it to her. She goes to her house, Sherry's not there. She leaves, and the Holy Spirit prompts her, go back and put it on the doorstep. She leaves it on on the doorstep. Sherry comes home, picks up the Bible, starts reading it, reads the Joyce Meyer book, starts watching uh, Joyce preach, and through that, she gives her life to Jesus. The next week, just a week later, she's at a gathering with Audrey's mother, was having some ladies over, invited Sherry and Audrey, and then my wife was there. So my wife, Lorraine, meets Sherry. They find out they live very close within a few minutes, so decide to start going for walks around the neighborhood together. They start walking together, and Lorraine says, hey, you know what? My husband David's preaching at Church on the Rock Battleground this Sunday. Would you like to come? She goes, oh, man, nobody's ever invited me to church. I would love to come. I'll always remember, she sat right down the middle to the right with Lorraine. I saw her for the first time. She weeps through the whole service. Comes up afterwards, she says, David, three things. She's this bold, feisty, firecracker girl. Three things. She said, number one, uh, I want a hug. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't any option getting out of this hug. Number one, I want a hug. Secondly, you're praying for me. And third, here's a check for missions in Peru. So I took the check, hugged her, and prayed with her. Lorraine kept being in a relationship with her. We'd have her over to the house. And then we invite her on this tour to Israel. I told her, I said, Sherry, we're not doing a first-timers tour, but it's like a specialty one, studying the wilderness and Shiloh and the tabernacle. I said, but you know what? Why don't you come? So she goes, oh, I want to come. And she said, David, she said, I saw that you're doing baptisms there. She goes, I want to be baptized, because she saw we're going to be down at the Red Sea. I want to be baptized in the Red Sea. I said, Sherry, we're scheduled for Jordan River. I said, if you really want it, we'll do it at the Red Sea. But I said, in the Bible, the only ones that got baptized, the Pharaoh's army, they didn't make it back out. So she goes, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm just learning. I'm so new at this. She goes, I'm so embarrassed. I'm like, don't be embarrassed. I want to show you a picture of Sherry getting water baptized in Israel. And I want to tell you, that's why our cups need to overflow right there. Because there are Sherry's here in Homer, Alaska. The table, the anointing, the cup. 
And as much as there's people here today that their cup can overflow and help you, if you know Jesus, you don't have to show up every Sunday and be, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Skip, my cup's empty. I need some of yours. Can you give me some? I want to tell you, your life can overflow to be a blessing. What's it going to take? It takes the four T's. It's going to take your time. It's going to take your talents, your gifts. It's going to take your treasure. It's going to take your testimony. Can we put the scripture back up on the screen one more time? You stand with me. Thank you, God, that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone that's here today. It's not by chance. It's by your spirit you've drawn us. God, I pray that today as we go into worship, God, that we would see you as the God who brings provision. Sometimes we, we're like the disciples. We don't understand it. And sometimes we only see you working in one or two or three ways, but like John Piper says, you're always working in at least 10,000 different ways in our lives. God, give us a fresh anointing today of your presence, Jesus. Heal any of our wounds. Remove all shame. And God, allow our cups to overflow. In Jesus' name.